do that that hold any type of personal or, or sensitive information is is go through an exercise of mapping what they have, understand what they have, where they store it, what the retention policy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Security Superpowers. My name is Steve Ramey, and I'll be your host through this theater of cyber masterpieces. Joining us today is Greg Bautista, partner at Mullen Coughlin. Mullen Coughlin is the largest dedicated data privacy and incident response law firm in the United States. Greg specializes in advising clients on data privacy matters during cyber investigations. Greg, thanks for uh, for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me, Steve. Glad to be here. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know you're pretty pretty busy, so I'm glad you took some time and uh, joined us in talking about uh, you know specifically data privacy and and what uh, what our clients uh, you know the, the ins and outs of what our clients kind of know for those who have experienced the event and uh, others who you know have yet to experience an event. Can you uh, would you mind telling us a little bit about your background and how you got into this? Sure. So uh, I am a I'm a data privacy and cybersecurity lawyer. Uh, that's the focus of my practice, and and my firm Mullen Coglin uh, solely focuses in this space. Um, to say that we're the largest is not an understatement. We've got you know over ninety lawyers that uh, focus only on data privacy and cybersecurity issues. Uh, my background's a little bit uh, unique. I mean, I think like anyone um, in this space that's uh, that's been around for a while, uh, you, you kind of got into it, uh, you know, as as a you know the right place, right time sort of situation. Uh, you know, I was uh, you know initially focused on um, electronic discovery issues as well as uh, privacy uh, issues as as pertains to professionals, accountants in particular. That's how I got first introduced to data privacy laws. And uh, you know the background that that I have includes some um, computer science and computer information systems education. Um, so it was a natural fit for me to be able to to step into um, a role where I could leverage both the legal expertise as well as uh, the background in in some of the more um, technical aspects um, that uh, really made it a good fit for me to to you know move into this space and and you know since about 2015 it's uh, exclusively where i've practiced oh that's wild so so you didn't go to law school for for cyber investigations it didn't exist at the time frankly um i graduated law school in 2007 um there was not a single um course available related to privacy or cybersecurity um now there's there's plenty um and that's that's a good thing i think we're seeing many more uh students coming out of law school that have at least some knowledge or or some you know background in the the legal aspects of it you know the skill set that um is required to do what we do from an incident response perspective is something that you have to learn through through working um, in this space, um, but it, it's nice to see you know candidates you know being presented to us um, as as associates that uh, that have some of that knowledge and have some of that uh, that background. Yeah, I, I can I can definitely relate. I mean, I have a, a similar background myself. You know, when I was uh, graduating, um, just undergrad, you know, two thousand five, and um, there weren't any type of you know what we know of security today, there weren't those types of classes back then. It was really, this is a network. This is how you set up a firewall. And that was the extent of it. Um, you know, since then, you know, there's been you know, a number of, of undergraduate and graduate programs designed for specifically cybersecurity. So, um, you know, over the last, what, 15, 16 years, you can really see that the collegiate academic programs um, shift tremendously so that they can start uh, meeting the demands of our, our respective industries. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a good 
it's a good change. Um, you know, when I was first looking in this space, you know, the IAPP, the International Association of Privacy Professionals, was was really the the, the place where you know you would get the most um, education, um, you know, around this uh, this topic. Um, now, you know, people are going to school for it. There's master's programs um, dedicated to it. There's additional certifications and training. So, uh, you know, anyone that's uh, even interested in in you know moving into this space or studying and, and looking to get into it. Um, you know, there's lots of options and lots of uh, programs out there that uh, can can provide that uh, that foundational knowledge. <laughs> so, Greg, um, so you know, we're talking about cyber uh, law. We're talking about you know um, data privacy. How does that apply to to businesses? Yeah, there's there's a, a number of aspects to cybersecurity and data privacy. Uh, you know, obviously the compliance side is is a big one, uh, making sure that as a business, you know, whether you're not regulated by a particular um, you know regulatory body or you're just a, a regular business that that may be subject to you know, your state's um, you know data privacy laws, there's an expectation that you're paying attention to. Uh, what the security measures and your know, retention and, and things around your, your data um, as it pertains to individuals, what those policies and procedures look like. Uh, the other aspect of you know, data privacy and cybersecurity uh, is, is something that we do on a daily basis, which is helping companies that are impacted by a cyber attack, you know, an incident that could uh, you know, in, impact the availability of information. It could impact the privacy and security of information. Uh, and there's laws in every con- every state and in a number of countries uh, that uh, would require some kind of communication to individuals that are impacted. So we guide our clients, um, you know, through the investigation. We do it under attorney-client privilege uh, with with Arite and, and and companies that that can help with forensic investigations. Um, and then. You know, advise based on what we find from those investigations on what our clients' obligations may be um, from the, uh, the the incident. So there's much more to business than just making money, from what I'm hearing. <laughs> it's uh, you know, it, it's one of those things that uh, you know, it, it's a it's, it's a cost um, driver, but it's an important um, you know aspect of of every business uh, because there are fines and penalties that can be issued if you're not paying close enough attention to uh, the way that you handle and collect and store and manage the, the data that uh, you receive, particularly as it pertains to individuals. Interesting. So so I guess what would be some of the common scenarios you've seen where your, your clients were affected by some type of intrusion or unauthorized access? Yeah, so we are, you know, as, as, as we said, uh, you know, one of the biggest uh, law firms that focuses in this space. And a lot of time that we spend is helping clients with you know, responding to cyber attacks, and these could be you know anything from you know what I'm sure a lot of people have heard about ransomware attacks, um, you know things that that encrypt data that may um, hold data for ransom. Um, business email compromise is, is probably the the, the next uh, most frequent uh, type of incident that we see uh, usually a compromise of an email account that uh, you know either if impacts the security of the information contained in the account uh, or puts uh, you know a, 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 an unauthorized party in the middle of a communication chain leading to you know the, the misdirection uh, of funds. Uh, so they're, they're usually looking for some kind of transaction to get in the middle of and say, well, you know, we've changed uh, our, our financial um, account and please route the or wire your money to, to this account instead of the one that you previously had. 
and and usually you know you find out about it after uh, someone doesn't get the money that they're expecting, um, and then we jump in and try to figure out what happened. Um, you know, bring in the right resources to help try and you know recover any money if possible, um, and then also investigate the extent to which that uh, bad actor may have been uh, in that uh, account. Uh, that's crazy. So, h- how real would you could you characterize that that these threats are? If you look at the media. Over the last, you know, three or four months, we've seen some pretty large companies uh, in the headlines um, that have been, uh, you know, victims of, of uh, ransomware attacks. Uh, but from your perspective, the day in, day out, you know, what is the, you know, what is that volume that you're experiencing and how real could you say that these threats are? Uh, and the, the threats are very real. I was actually just, uh, you know, chatting with a, a company the other day um, and, and I'd asked them out of curiosity. I mean, they weren't impacted by any any incident they were just you know they're they're a newer company getting started up but uh yeah they were curious about cybersecurity and the things that they needed to put in place being in a in a, in a space that uh, it, it's really important uh, from an e-commerce standpoint the question i asked them was you know how many incidents are you actually aware of um, out there and you know i think five to 10 was, was about the average answer, maybe a dozen. Um, but to put that in perspective, you know, we see probably five or 10 incidents on a daily basis. Um, you know, we've handled thousands of, of incidents, I think, uh, in, in the last year, over 3,000, maybe maybe closer to 4,000. Uh, so it is something that is ever present. It's, it's out there and it is does not, you know, necessarily target one company or another. You, you could just be, you know, uh, a victim because someone clicked on on something on a website. Um, so they're not, you know, the, the, these threat actors are not focusing on any particular targets necessarily. I mean, I'm sure some do, uh, but a lot of times it's, you know, they, they, you know, someone that just got caught up in a in a phishing email scam or you know downloaded a, a program that had something embedded in it that was malicious. Yeah, that's certainly uh, a lot more than we read in the. And the reading the media outlets, um, even even with the the publications and, and statements that the White House is making, you know, it, it certainly is, is showing that, you know, what this industry looked like two years ago has changed significantly. Um, you know, just from the volume you're talking about, as well as the the public stance, the uh, the White House is starting to take. Uh, the ransomware task force, the introduction of that, uh, how much more visibility, you know, a lot of these attacks are are becoming. So I personally think it's a great thing that the, the government is starting to step in and and to help provide some guidance uh, where there wasn't much before. I guess, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? No, I agree. I think it's it's great that uh, we're seeing more um, you know attention being paid to this uh, you know, from from the government uh, in particular. The, the law enforcement bodies are are more active, or at least seem to be more active than they have in the past. I, I think it's it's probably related to additional um, staffing, you know, additional budget dedicated to the space. Um, so there are more frequently conversations that we're having, uh, you know, with with you know folks from the FBI or the Secret Service uh, around these these incidents, you know, whether it's, you know, in real time as it's, you know, as, as we're dealing with the uh, the threat or, you know, post-mortem trying to understand what happens so that there's a, you know, a sharing of, of some knowledge and, and information to, to hopefully, you know, stem the, you know, the rising tide of these attacks. Yeah. I really hope we can get uh, in front of it. Um, in fact, you know, you say rising tide, uh, recently been working on a uh, security assessment where I was asked, you know, how do we how do we transition from the state of information security and, and you know, post breach to a leading edge security program? 
And so we spent the last nine weeks, you know, combing through the ins and outs of it. And we get to our, our final deliverable and we're talking with the CEO and, and he, he gives this analogy, he says, so really a, a leading edge security program is uh, constantly evolving. I said, yeah. And he says, so, so the analogy I would draw is that you can build a plane and it could be the fastest plane and you take off and you're flying, but that plane never lands because it has to stay continuously circulating um, as the information security program. I said, yep, that's right. And he says, he says, then says, okay. And then these bad guys, they build a rocket ship and that rocket ship at some point comes flying past your plane. I said, that's absolutely right. And I said, really the definition of, of, uh, world-class program is that it's constantly evolving. So in your analogy, your plane, your information security program would have to evolve to catch back up to the rocket ship. Those, those bad guys had, had built. And at that point I could hear the click and he says, ah, okay. So we never hit a final point of being a leading edge program. We're constantly in pursuit of that leading edge program. And I think a lot of, uh, a lot of businesses lose that, that translation when they, they think of security, uh, especially in the modern tone of, well, let's just, you know, put a firewall in and, and we'll be done with it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great analogy. I actually, uh, um, I hadn't heard that one before, but, uh, I think that you know, it really does put, put a, a fine point on, you know, what a cybersecurity program needs to look like um, for any size company. You know, there are always evolving threats. Um, there's really, you know, I think whenever we talk to clients, we say, you know, it, it's, it's you know, often not a matter of, of if, but, but when you have some kind of cyber attack, uh, the question is, you know, how prepared are you to deal with it? Um, and you know, what the severity of that attack is based on that preparation. And you know, staying on top of the evolution of threats, staying on top of some of the um, you know the guidance that comes out a variety of different places uh, on what those threats look like, and and you know some additional you know cybersecurity measures that you can put in place is, is really all a company can can do to um, you know, put themselves in the best position. And and really, you know, we say you want to be the you know the the you know, not the lowest hanging fruit, I guess. Um, you want you want to keep your attack profile as, as slim as possible, and and you know it's it's you know there's no guarantees, but that's you know, what you strive for. You're chasing that leading edge, and and you just try to stay as um, you know up to up to date as possible. Yeah, that, that that's absolutely uh, that's absolutely right. Minimizing the uh, the attack surface there, and um, just be as prepared as possible. Uh, but I do want to back up to, to something you had mentioned earlier. You mentioned business email compromise and, and ransomware. Um, you know the the idea of somebody getting into your email box or you know a threat actor getting onto your computer network. Um, you know it, it's pretty scary when you think of the grand scheme of things because you know you could have passwords, you could have credit card numbers in your inbox uh, on your file servers, you can have employees' social security numbers, you can have. Um, you know, other financial information that hasn't been released to the public yet. You know, how, you know, how many times have you seen, you know, these threat actors get into that data, start looking at it, and then how, how have you seen them actually use that information um, during these investigations? Yeah, it's, it's often um, something that we see as far as, you know, access or, or even staging or exfiltration of the data. Um, you know, ransomware has evolved. Um, 
over over the years, um, and, and and most recently, you know, the the the, the threat actors are, are coming in and actually taking that information and using that as additional leverage against the company. So now it's not just we have your systems locked up; you need to pay us if you want to get your um, systems decrypted. Um, but also, we've taken some of your information and we're going to start leaking it on the dark web um, as as an additional leverage point. Um, even in the business email compromise space, it, you know, it's, it's rare that we see that. You know, evolve into we have data from your email account, um, but we see more um, action around that information um, sooner uh, because it's it's not it's not a leverage point. They're actually taking that information to to use in some way, whether it's you know spamming other um, contacts, uh, using the uh, the information to to move funds around, or even you know set up new accounts. You know, create um, situations where there could be identity theft. So it's it's. Um, it, it's it's an interesting evolution. Um, I guess maybe interesting's not not the right way to put it. It's it's, it's maybe a scary evolution that uh, you know, threat actors are are trying to you know use that data and uh, use it in a fashion that uh, you know puts a company in a a, a greater risk um, um, posture because it's not just you know. Operations are down. It's uh, you know operations are down, and you have to respond to customers that may become aware that their information is posted somewhere on the dark web. Yeah, scary indeed. You know the uh, the weaponization of of that information. Um, you know, previously you used to think that your social security number gets taken, and somebody's going to go open up credit cards or or some type of financial account under your name. Uh, now we're seeing it being used against the company. Um, because companies are, you know, rightly so they're, they're concerned about their employees and their customers' well-being, and, and they want to minimize what information is shared publicly. And there's also this embarrassment factor of, you know, your company was breached. How do you explain that to your employees, to your customers? Um, and what type of reputation damage does, does that include? So, you know, the weaponization aspect is, is very scary when we, when we think of it that way. Yeah. It's, it's interesting though, because it's not that, you know, data was taken, and if if you're able to to recover it, you don't have a an obligation to communicate that to the impacted parties or individuals. Um, you know, from from our perspective, there is still a requirement to communicate to your employees if their social security numbers are compromised, or communicate to your customers uh, if their data was taken. Um, but it's 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 sort of the cadence of that that we try to uh, make sure the company is is prepared for. Um, and, and, and able to communicate that in, in an accurate and uh, you know, timely fashion um, so that it doesn't create a, a, an issue from a goodwill standpoint. You know, they obviously care about their, their employees and their, their customers, um, but in a lot of cases, we just don't know early on in, 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 in the response process what was actually taken or what the overall impact is. So there's a lot of uh, really you know quick investigation that needs to happen to get us to that point. So we're in a position to be able to communicate. Yeah. I want to key in on, on, on something. Um, you mentioned access and then you mentioned exfiltration. Are the two the same? So they're, they're different in, 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 in what they, um, you know, they're different in the sense that, you know, access is, 
seeing a bad actor in a system navigating to a folder or a database or a system that contains information that's sensitive in nature. Exfiltration is actually seeing evidence of that leaving the environment. So, you know, the, the, the threat actor copying it out or the threat actor providing it back to you saying, look at what I have, you know, that, that weaponization you're referring to. In either case, you know, there's still a risk to that information, and you know, there's a chance that that information could have been taken, even if we only see access as an artifact from the investigation. Um, so, in either case, we would you know, typically take steps to to notify those individuals um, whose in- information is at risk. And and I guess what's the notification process involved? How do you you know for for companies that have you know hundreds of thousands or millions of clients or customers? Um, or records of, of uh, uh, information to even the smaller ones that may have 10 or 15. What's that notification process look like? Yeah, so that's driven often by by state or federal law. Um, you know, every state has a a breach notification law that would require um, you know, notice to be made to those individuals. Uh, you know, there are also um, federal laws like like HIPAA that require notice uh, if there's you know, personal or health information, protected health information uh, impacted. Uh, but that process, it's 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 uh, you know, it can be a difficult one to navigate as the population sizes get larger. Uh, for small incidents, you know, it's it's pretty straightforward. We need to put a, a letter in the mail telling um, you know, the individual what happened. There are certain requirements uh, from each state that we need to make sure are met in that notification letter. And unfortunately, they're all different. Not every state requires the same content. Um, some require certain formats or, uh, for instance, Massachusetts doesn't allow for any details to be shared with the individual receiving the notice about the incident itself. Um uh, so it's 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 something that we have to to navigate the patchwork of laws from that perspective, uh, but really it's it's you know and I'm sure most of the people listening to this have received a letter or an email from a company saying you know your information was impacted, you know that's the that's you know driven you know primarily by those breach notification laws, um, but getting to that point is the tricky part because um, sometimes it's not you know a clear. Um, you know, a database or a, a, a clear data source that has structured information where we can say these people, these social security numbers were impacted and we need to send them notices. It could be a number of uh, files that are in an email box with PDF attachments and, you know, data that, that can't easily be identified uh, or in a, even in a, a file share. We see oftentimes, you know, file shares are zipped up and, and taken out and it's not consistent you know, to what information is in there as far as is it all employees or is it all customers or, you know, what portion of that uh, and how old is that information? Um, you know, that, that those are some of the things we have to look at from, from the analysis standpoint so we know who to notify accurately. That sounds like a very, very large task to undertake. Is that is, is that done manually or do you, you able to use technology? What's the, I guess, what's the best approach yeah, so that that's often referred to as as data mining. Um, that that exercise where it's unstructured data that uh, you know, we don't really have visibility into the contents. Um, that goes through a couple of phases. One's a programmatic search, so you know, searching for information of particular keywords or patterns, uh, like you know, nine-digit patterns for social security numbers, for instance. Uh, and you know that would go to a a team that 
would review it from a manual standpoint in the second phase uh, to make sure that uh, you know, the proper information is recorded for the the population for those individuals that uh, you know that, that initial search pulled forward. And the tricky part is if it's not searchable, then that information you know it could be a TIFF image, it could be a PDF, uh, you know, a document that doesn't have um, the ability to search easily. Uh, and and that needs to go through that manual review process. And if it's a large data set, that can be uh, one very costly and also very time consuming. And then there are other. <laughs> we uh, you know we we get data files back uh, with you know names and you know the information that was impacted. Uh, and, and and sometimes we don't have addresses for them. So our clients then have to go back and try and match up names and addresses or update the the files. Um, so it is oftentimes an iterative process to get to the point where we actually know who to notify and you know, what information for them was impacted. This sounds like a lengthy process. It, it can be. Um, you know, we try to throw as much you know resources as possible um, on these projects because you know there are time constraints that we're working towards um, from the the legal perspective. You know, there's there's you know timelines for notification required um, in certain states, um, and, and HIP in particular has a 60 day notice uh, time period. So, you know, we try to move as quickly as possible. It's not always possible to get to a point where we can accurately notify within that time period because there is also that lead time to get to the point where we realize that there's data compromised uh, from the forensic investigation. So if, you know, if we're looking at that 60-day window, if the, um, if the investigation takes 30 days to complete, you know, it's 30 days you know, that, that are left to, to you know, get to the point where we know who was impacted. Um, and, and sometimes it's, it's very difficult to reach those, uh, those deadlines. Are the, are the regulators lenient with getting extensions or anything like that? Or are they, they pretty firm and, and you have to comply with, with those dates? I would say it, it, it can vary, but, you know, for the most part, they're, they're pretty firm with the dates and we want to, you know, do everything we can to get to the point where we're, you know, comp- you know, compliant with those notices. I mean, there are obviously instances where that's just not possible and we have to, you know, work with them and, and explain why um, certain things took longer than, than we expected. Um, but, you know, in every case, we want to be as close to that, you know, that, that end date as possible. So if, if it's not a matter of, of, if, but when, for, for a lot of these businesses to uh, become, you know, a victim of a cyber attack, uh, and um, majority of these businesses are, you know, storing and processing some type of, you know, regulated information, is it in the business's best interest to to proactively prepare their data set, understand what exists, where it exists? Uh, so that when they face this type of situation, it makes this kind of downstream, you know, re- uh, regular t- regulator reporting a-, a little simpler. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you know one thing that all, all companies should do that that hold any type of personal or, or sensitive information is is go through an ma- exercise of mapping what they have, understand what they have, where they store it, what the retention policies are around it, and and that make sure that they're complying with those policies. Because uh, that's the other thing: the regulators, you know, they may get upset that you missed you know, a notification deadline. Um, but they're going to be more upset if they see, you know, other areas where the company has just fallen down or, or hasn't paid attention to, you know, compliance with their own internal policies and procedures. Um, that, that creates a, a much more um, contentious or concerning, 
you know dialogue with the with the regulators um, if if you're not even meeting the, the standards that you set for yourself. Uh, so, so the regulators uh, look at more than just uh, the information that that was exposed or maybe accessed by by that that unauthorized party. They look at um, you know actual compliance documentation, maybe a cybersecurity program. Um, uh, you know who's mm-hmm. supposed to be responsible for that type of security? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know the the actual information and the notification and the the you know the basis of the breach itself is really never the focus of the the regulators um only you know it only really comes into play the, to the extent that you know if you'd had you know other policies or other security measures in place you know this could have been prevented um but really when we get into a a, a you know a regulatory investigation a data request um they're asking for the policies they're asking for the procedures they're asking for compliance with those policies and procedures um you know they'll look at the 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 breach and the notification and make sure that you did everything that was compliant um to make to 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 get notice done but uh you know what they're looking at is you know what was your security practices before what are they now are you in a better position are you paying attention to um cybersecurity or is this um you know something that you're 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 just not taking seriously for one reason or another and that's where they're gonna you know really ding you yeah is is this is this uh something that you can help out um because i imagine there's a lot of businesses that that are aware of maybe a regulation over credit card information, but may not be granularly familiar with, with, um, you know, what happens if, if, you know, some type of, uh, uh, breach occurs, is this something that you could help out with and consult or provide your, your legal uh, advice to help these companies build out that type of a uh, program? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's something that, you know, we, we do on a, on a regular basis with clients, um, you know, we've a we've got a unique uh, perspective because we see so many of these incidents, um, and when we you know we know what the regulators are asking because we deal with them on a daily basis. Um, so you know, our, our compliance team would you know help organizations with that data mapping, understanding what what they have, um, understanding what laws could apply to it, whether it's U.S. or, or foreign um, laws. It, it really just depends on on what they they hold, what they collect, how they store it, and then. Making sure that they've got that you know, incident response plan in place, something that gives them a roadmap of what to do when there is an issue. So, you know, if it's a if it's a credit card, uh, you know, uh, payment card issue, you know, who do they need to contact? You know, what steps need to be taken to make sure that you're reporting timely to your payment processor and that the card brands are being apprised of, of the issue, um, and then also bringing in the right resources to to do that investigation, understand what the overall scope of the compromise is. Um, I guess, I guess stepping back to kind of the data mining aspect and and these laws um, from from a data privacy standpoint, you know. How does data mining help you determine which laws are applicable to your clients? You know, is it all all laws are ap- applicable to all companies, or are only some companies affected by certain laws? That's a good question. It, it, you know, data mining helps us understand the information that was impacted. Um, the laws that apply are often driven more so by the company and the industry that they are in. You know, if it's a you know, commercial type entity that, uh, you know, let's say a, a manufacturing company, there's not going to be a lot of, of regulation from a, um, you know, a, a 
federal perspective um, over those those organizations. Um, but if you're in finance or the financial space or healthcare, you know, there's definitely specific regulators and, and um, laws that uh, need to be considered uh, when responding to an incident. So that's why, at, at, you know, when, when we were first introduced to a, a client, we want to understand, you know, who they're primarily regulated by um, and, you know, what um, perhaps nuances about their their uh, business uh do we need to, to, to be aware of because there may be some reporting that, that needs to happen that's you know beyond just your typical you know state notice um, requirements. So, for example, you know educational institutions that receive federal funding uh, may have reporting obligations to the Department of Education, uh, or there may be certain ways that we need to record impact to student information um, under FERPA, um, even though that doesn't necessarily trigger a notice requirement to an individual. Uh, and the same token, if you're in the insurance space, uh, looking at any um, you know state insurance uh, commissions, uh, Department of Insurance, uh, those, those, those are areas that don't apply to all companies. But you know, if you're in that you know, or, or touching that area, you may have uh, a reporting obligation that uh, you know goes beyond the, the typical uh, state law. Uh, but you know, at the beginning of every uh, engagement, we ask our clients, you know, even even sort of the odd question: um, Do you have a, a self-funded health insurance plan, or are you a fully funded um, health insurance program for your employees? Uh, the self-funded health insurance plans are actually subject to HIPAA. Uh, so where you may be a company that has nothing to do with healthcare, you could still be subject to HIPAA and have reporting requirements because you're actually operating your own health plan. Wow. So it's it, it's really a combination of approach. It's it's asking them, you know, what what are you being what are you regulated by? What type of information um, do you know that you you have? And then the second piece is from that technology aspect of data mining to compare what you find to what was told. And then that helps fill in the blanks for whatever's missing. Well, that, that's exactly right. We need that. We need that second, you know, that, that technology to, to help us, you know, advise clients on what they need to, to do, what laws they need to comply with. Um, it even goes beyond laws actually, because we often are dealing with contractual requirements. I mean, you know, five years ago, cybersecurity clauses were not that common in, in, in business to business contracts, but, you know, more and more, we've seen those um, terms inserted into into agreements where, you know, even if the information that is potentially impacted, the systems that are impacted have nothing to do with the customer, there's a contractual trigger um, when there's an incident that requires you to communicate to that comp that that company. And those timelines are, you know, can, they can be short. It can be within hours or within 24 hours or uh, sometimes a matter of days. Um, but it's not just, you know individuals personal information and the timelines driven there there's the you know perhaps in, in some respects more important business to business um uh your relationship um, concerns because there there could be justification or uh reason for uh, a party to a contract to, to you know trigger a, a clause that would allow for termination huh. yeah the, the the contracts piece is uh certainly an interesting twist I guess how would the contract aspect of this tie into you know any type of third parties, like a, a managed service provider? Uh, a lot of times, you know, we we do read about you know a managed service provider uh, being hacked as the epicenter, and you know a lot of their their customers, their clients are affected, uh, you know, by that type of waterfall effect. 
Yeah, I mean, we, we see managed service providers, you know, ones that are hosting systems or hosting data for their 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 clients. You know, they get impacted by ransomware, and it, you know, they, they maybe they have three hundred, maybe they have thousands of, of of customers that are all impacted by that by that uh, you know singular issue. So it's it's not just the MSP; it's all the you know the businesses that uh, you know use their services or use their their systems. Um, that uh, that end up you know, having to address concerns with you know their third-party relationships, and it's it's sometimes a difficult conversation to have to say, yeah, you know, we had our data hosted by so and so, they got hit with ransomware. We don't have availability to our data, so you know our operations are are down, or you know we're not able to fulfill you know the uh, you know, w- whatever you know, contractual obligations um, you know, we have to you um, and, and having to manage that relationship um, it, it creates you know risk not only for the the company but also for the MSP uh, increased risk and, and those 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 third parties are those managed service providers those are, are pretty frequently attacked like I would almost go out on a limb and say these groups look for those MSPs because of such a high value target they are. Oh, certainly. I mean, it's it, you know, some of the, the largest ransom demands you've seen were, were on MSPs because they know the the value of the information is it's, it's, it's multiplied, you know, in some cases exponentially by the number of clients and, and the nature of the information that they, they have. Um, I've seen MSPs that have gone out of business as a result of, of a, of a cyber attack. And it's, you know, you feel for them because they're victims, in, you know, as, as well, um, but um, at the end of the day, you know, there's still that that business consideration, and you know, once you've had an incident like that, if you don't respond appropriately, if you don't take the right steps to, you know, manage the relationships from the MSP's perspective, uh, you know, clients aren't going to come back after uh, you know you've managed to recover. So, you know, that's where having you know the expertise from from our perspective and from the I mean from Arate's perspective is really key um, to help companies respond to these incidents appropriately um, and make sure that the third parties and the customers that they're communicating with understand you know it's not just you know we had an incident and we're dealing with it but you know, we had an incident and we've brought in you know the right people to help us you know respond and and, and are doing everything you know that that is expected of of us um, to you know quell any concerns around the security of your information or we're going to stand up if there is a security issue and and you know make sure that we uh, respond appropriately and, and and take the necessary actions yeah rightly so so um, I guess you know there's been a ton of content uh, here and, and you wowed me on a, a couple of the facts that you shared even though we work so closely together. Um, I, I do have to ask, I guess, from from what you've seen and what you know, or at least what you're predicting of, of where you know a lot of these uh, this this industry is, is moving towards, what would be a, a recommendation or two that you could provide our listeners uh, to help prepare or at least simplify the aftermath of of experiencing a breach? Well, it all goes back to to training and you know that that you know preparedness for the. The, the response to an incident. You know, we keep talking about if, and not if, but when something happens. Um, the more prepared you are, the better you, you know, position you'll be in to respond when something does happen. And you know, having that understanding of your your data, you know, the structure, the information systems, having the uh, the appropriate you know safeguards, you know, offline backups, something is, is, is something that you think would be you know fairly you know uh, 
common or you know sort of a no-brainer but a lot of times we see in ransomware attacks companies that get hit that had their backups connected to the systems that got hit and the threat actors are coming in and you know targeting those backups in the first instance so that you just don't have that opportunity to to rebuild and recover um, but you know at the end of the day you know the employees are always the you know the weakest um, point in any company because you know they receive emails, they browse websites, and uh, a lot of these attacks are now being precipitated uh, by those phishing type of campaigns. Where in the past we'd see just brute forcing um, you know open ports through a remote desktop protocol. You know now it's 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 much more sophisticated and targeted uh, to 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 get. Um, credentials into a into a system, and then using those credentials to you know, escalate or elevate uh, access, and uh, you know really you know do the the bad stuff. Yeah, really. So we're hopefully uh, changing the uh, the trend one computer system at a time uh, without uh, allowing RDP. But uh, you know, as long as Microsoft allows that to be um, accessible via the internet, we're uh, we're going to have our challenge in front of us. But yeah, I mean, there's there's always a, a tension, right? You, you need to have the access. So, you know, no one built information systems thinking that they were going to be, you know, exploited in this way. It was, you know, for the purposes of connecting people, and and you know, it, it does a great job of that. But um, it, it does leave open some of these risks, and uh, you know, I think it's it's really important for companies to pay attention um, to what the most common you know, exploits are, and you know, take the right steps to address them through things like you know, two-factor authentication or, or, you know, more secure ways to connect. Uh, and then just back on the employee piece, you know, they, they need to be trained. They need to be reminded of their training because uh, even if they've done one, you know, cybersecurity training session, you know, it's probably six months later, they'll, they'll fall for, uh, you know, one of those phishing um, tests. And, you know, that that's where you, you get them you know, more training and, and just keep reminding them of, of the uh, you know company policies and the things that they need to be wary of um, because it is it is remarkable how much more sophisticated these uh, uh, these phishing emails are getting and maybe credit to Google Translate for being more sophisticated in, in how well they translate foreign languages <laughs> yeah it's uh, I never even thought about that how how their English instantly approved. Oh, really? So, man, but appreciate it. Um, so this is, uh, I think this is one of our, our best episodes yet with, uh, with a lot of the content that was shared. Um, you know, the, the aspect that companies of, of any shape and size have, may have some type of reporting, uh, obligation based on the information they, they contain. Um, and if not, in that reporting obligation may exist to, um, you know, some type of law, some type of regulator, or it may have to deal with some type of contractual obligation. Um, and so from a business perspective, you know, it really takes some time and, and preparation and planning um, in the off chance that that something, uh, you know, happens. Um, having, uh, you know, someone like Greg, uh, someone like yourself on speed dial, uh, so you can be that first phone call, um, one, to, to help prepare, and two, if, if something were to occur, you know, right there already, you know, their systems, you know, their, the technologies and, and the data that they, they harbor. Um, and you have the ability to, to provide some very tailored, quick legal advice, um, you know, if one uh, it gets to that point. Yeah, I, I know that in the past you've, uh, you know, had a um, you know, talk on, on, on cyber insurance and, you know, I, 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 it'd probably be um, 
I should probably echo uh, you know that uh, cyber insurance is is a really great uh, resource. Not only because it's insurance and, and it, it does provide some cover, uh, but it also provides you with resources like you know direct access to Mullen Coglin. I mean, you can always go to our website. We've got a hotline. We've got an inbox if anything ever happens. But uh, you know, those insurance policies will often put you directly in contact with with someone like us, or if not us directly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cyber insurance, you know, very hot topic. Um, a lot of changes occurring in that space as well. Uh, but you know, you know, uh, from a lot of the investigations I've performed, you know, a lot of the clients of, of cyber insurance have expressed, you know, a heartfelt gratitude that they purchased the policy just because it gave them access to experts like us. Um, so you know, echoing that is is uh, will pay you know dividends just from from the knowledge that we possess to get in touch with. Oh, great. Well, Greg, uh, any, any final words, uh, uh, for our listeners? Just, uh, you know, it, this is you know, not intended to, to scare people. I mean, we, we, we really live in a space where we see this day in, day out. Um, you know, there's obviously, you know, business that needs to be conducted on a day-to-day basis. And, um, you know, that's, that's always the, the focus. Um, but you know, you can't let cybersecurity you know, take a back seat or, or you know, let it sit on the back burner because, uh, you know, even if you're not regulated, there's going to be, um, you know, some scrutiny if there is a, a significant impact and, and, and you know, in, in the event of an incident. And, you know, I've had clients come to me and say, look, I don't have a lot of personal information. I'm not a business that, that has that type of um, data. But, you know, keep in mind, it's not just a privacy issue. It's operational. It's, you know, reputational. It's, uh, you know, customer goodwill um, that you're also trying to protect when there's a, a cyber attack. Yeah, great perspective. Um, a lot more to a lot more to this than just the, um, you know, we were hacked type of uh, aspect of it. So, well, good. Well, Greg, thank you very much for, for joining us today, um, walking us through, you know, the data privacy aspect of, of uh, these cyber attacks, um, how the legal team, how critical it is for the legal team to be involved, um, talking through, uh, you know, legal opinions and, and positioning the company for the best possible outcome from from a very, very bad situation. Well, thanks for having me, Steve. This was a lot of fun. Uh Appreciate you inviting me on. Great. Thank you. Um, and thank you all to the listeners who uh, who, who are listening today. Um, join us next time uh, where we will uh, recap this season and, and talk about uh, uh, the state of cybersecurity towards the end of uh, Q2.